Welcome to The Take, where I sit down with actors, filmmakers, and world-class racketeers, and we talk about story, life in the biz, and what it all means. Today I sit down with Sean King and Ray Starman. Sean and Ray are a writing team that previously wrote the film Generation Gap, which holds the highest viewership count on the Hallmark Channel for the month of October. They're currently in pre-production for a World War II film titled Citizen Soldiers, which they have Dale Dye attached to. In this conversation, we get into the story of Citizen Soldiers, the true history behind it, and tuck all things World War II. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sean King and Ray Starman. So I just want to introduce you. You guys are in, uh, in pre-production for a film called Citizen Soldiers. It's a World War II project. You got Dale Dye attached. Um, and I just, uh, I, I had the pleasure, I was telling you here and when we, we talked of talking with, with Dale and you know, he's a great guy. And, uh, I just wanted to know if you could quickly touch on how you got in touch with Dale. Yeah. I think that, uh, this would probably be about what about, was it 20, uh, was it about five years ago? We, yeah, it, might, it might've been a little longer than that, but I mean, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but I, all I know is. We, it was crazy uh, how it happened. So go ahead. Yeah, we, we we just said, hey, you know, maybe we could we could get Dale Dye interested in this thing. <laughs> you know, and we we've been rejected by you know so many people and stuff out here. You know how it is. Yeah. We thought, what the heck? What's he gonna do? Just you know, tell us to go away. So we looked up his uh, name of his company, Warriors Inc. Sure. on the internet, and we got a phone number, and we called the number. We thought it was be some big office in the valley, and I think his wife answered the phone. Yeah. And uh, we were both on the line. And uh, we said, uh, can we talk to Dale? And the next thing you know, it's, uh, it's Dale himself. And we're, we're basically just pitched him the story. And I do remember this. I remember like when you're not seasoned doing it all the time, where it's almost like you see a high school kid who's doing like a debate. Yeah. And it was this, and, and then this happened, and it's <laughs> yeah. just weird, like, this is a great hog. And, he's, and he's, I could just tell he's like, guys, slow down. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, okay. Take it easy. Right, take yeah. it easy. Right? Yeah. So we eventually got the story out, and he goes, you know, guys, that's real interesting. I kind of like that. Can you send me the script? And so we, we were like, oh, my God, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. We sent it to him. <laughs> and as you know, Dale showed up and did it. When he says he's going to do something, it's not, you know, he's not this Hollywood, like, you know, he'll just give you a word, you know. Right. Tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, and, no, and he's, he through. means what he says. Absolutely. And so he read the script, and how many pages of notes did he give us? I, you know, a standard 120 page script, he must have given us, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 pages of notes. Wow. And, and, so he, I, and, and they were great. So like he the, really took, he wasn't, oh, yeah. wasn't just like, let's give some notes to get these yeah, guys I mean, off I think my it was back. 20, around 20 pages, or, or it could have been a little, it was a lot. I, I couldn't believe it. And yeah. they were so specific and they they made a ton of ton of sense and he was like we talked about it and 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 we ended up having lunch with him by his house in the valley and he came out and he just to discuss it wow and sort of it sort of just went from there and he gave us the notes and we made the corrections we met him again and then we kind of just you know you know you know throughout the fishing line how'd you like to be involved in this thing and uh it, it went from there, so he's he's definitely involved. Yeah, his his um, footprints are all or fingerprints, I should yeah. say. He, Bootprints. Yeah, yeah. Footprints. He he stomped all over. Yeah, <laughs> but his fingerprints are all over. I mean, he he gave us details where 
Ray is a is an army veteran, so an intelligence officer, so he knew most of the lingo. But when you're dealing with World War II, it's very yeah. specific, mm -hmm. and you know we did research as much as we could. He, but there's little things that he, he caught. You realize once he gave us the notes, you know that this guy's, you could see his fingerprints all over Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan. I mean, he's expert in that era. Yeah, like just just little terms for things that you know we didn't think, and just things that we had missed. And uh, I think he definitely. You know, made it a better script, a much better script. When, when you pitched him, did you already have the uh, the pitch, the Alamo and the Ardennes? Uh, I don't know. Maybe that came later. Because that's good. I, yeah, yeah. Because that's, yeah, really, that, that's a great little elevator pitch on because, it. Because, you know, well, I, I don't know when you want to get into the story, but that yeah. literally was when they were told, you know, they thought they were going to be able to retreat back, at, you know, into towards Bastogne and all that. But the, the call came out, no, you have to hold at all costs. You know, so they're basically saying – Good luck. We're not going to send anybody to help you. You have to fight to the death. So it kind of was like the Alamo. The Alamo, yeah. You, know? Just like, you know what? It was twelve soldiers, or what? What, what, what uh, was the Our guys basically, yeah. We was our, our we had our initial patrol that was uh, that was left in the town after they reported back about six or seven guys, and then they linked up with some some ash and trash supply guys and tr you know truck drivers, clerks, and jerks, and they wanted to get out of there. And they're like, well, wait a minute. You know, this is all that's you know, we're all that's left here to stop the Germans. Yeah. And, and, they, and you know, they, they, there was, we read actual articles where they're like, well, we don't, we're not, we're cooks and soldiers. And the guy goes, son, you're in the U.S. Army. Yeah. You're, you're not, this isn't Sears Roebuck. Grab yeah. a rifle and let's when, go. When the Germans come, you are, <laughs> you are an American soldier. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what you're doing right now. We need you. Yeah. You know, um, I, I guess the, the, uh, the motivation for first writing the script, um, came from a couple, two things. Um, I had read several times when I was in the Army and afterwards, probably read the book about 10 times, a book called Company Commander by the late Charles McDonald. He was a World War II vet who won the Silver Star in the Battle of the Bulge. And he was in the 2nd Infantry Division, and they were just a, a unit of just regular guys. I think, you know, everybody hears all the, what we call in the military, the rock and roll units, the, the famous ones, the 101st, you know, sure. the Marines, different units. And I think that's what attracted Dale to it is this was going to just be a story about guys from the 28th Infantry Division from Pennsylvania, a National Guard unit. So these guys really were uh, citizen soldiers. And then we wanted to also, when Sean and I were working on the script, besides this, to tell the story of just the regular soldier, you know, not the paratrooper, not the super marine stud, you know, frogman or whatever, but also what was an unknown story from World War II in the Battle of the Bulge particularly that we could tell that hasn't been told. Mm -hmm. And our story is really, you know, if, if he said, hey, can you summarize it, you know, besides Alamo and the Ardens, we're really, the, the, if, if these guys hadn't held off the Germans the way they did, um, there would never have been a 101st uh, famous stand, battered bastards of Bastogne, because the Germans would have got there before the 101st they were ever had a chance to, you know, truck in. Well, what the one of the officers in the, in the, after the war in Germany was like, you know, we saw how small and how sparse the, the groups were on the uh, on the line. Yeah. And we thought we could get from here where things started to Bastogne in one day and easily. And because those guys fought so hard, it took them three days to get there. Wow. So that's the only reason why the 101st was able to surround it and to uh, Bastogne to fortify it. Otherwise, they wouldn't even been able to get there because it 
the Germans would have already been in Bastogne. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a 300 hot gate story where it's like the Persians trying to yeah, come exactly. through the Greeks, except, yeah. And, uh, so I, I had talked to Ray. I was watching a, a history channel or something. It was like, it could have been just like a war, general World War II documentary. Yeah. And, you know, the, the one we all seen with the guy that's got the deep, deep voice, you know, he does all those for you. Know, yeah. Those history channel ones yeah. from back in the, the 90s and early 2000s. But they interviewed this Luxembourg wo- woman named Marguerite Lindenmeyer. And she basically was riding her bike in Luxembourg across the German border to her cousin's place. So it would be like going from West Hollywood to Hollywood. Okay, yeah. And these German, young German soldiers, she was young, thought she was cute. And so they pull over, and there's just two of them in a, in a Jeep, like their version of a Jeep. And they're like, uh, hey, what are you doing? And she's like, um, I'm going to Dasburg. And they're like, oh, no, you shouldn't be going that way. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Oh, you know, all this stuff's going to happen, you know? Let us help you. They take her bike. They put it in the back of the, the Jeep. They don't check her papers. And because she speaks perfect German, they assume she's, she's German. German. They take her behind the lines. And she literally is one of the few that witnessed the buildup. She saw everything, wow. right? And they're like, don't go back that way. We're, go- we're on our way back to Paris, you know? And so instead of kind of being a timid woman... She basically walked back six miles on foot and found the first U.S. outpost and said, "You're going to get attacked." Wow! And so she and was, they, they she, didn't believe her though. Right, and that's where our movie kind of kicks in. So you have this you have this woman that's coming back to find the nearest American unit to tell her story, and arriving at the same unit is a guy named Mike McGreevy, uh, who's a UPI reporter, in you know maybe what 22, 23 years old, and he is just arrived in the European theater of operations. He wants to be, you know, the next Walter Cronkite or whatever, sure. you know, and uh, crack the big story, tell a story. And where does, where does he get sent? He gets sent to what the troops were calling the ghost front, which was about a 30, 40 mile, um, area in the Ardennes forest, which runs, you've got Belgium and Luxembourg mm-hmm. along the German border. And what Ike did is he put units that were brand new or had just had, you know, just gotten pounded, in this area, like the, our guys in the 28th Infantry Division, they had taken 5,000 casualties um, in the Battle of the Hurtgen Force, and they were really beat up. They're, they're, that's why they learned the nickname the Bloody Bucket. Okay. So they, these guys think, hey, we're going to finally just they, chill out. They put out, them out there to rest. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, little did they know that they were, you it, just know. Just going to be the, the focal you know? point yeah. of the Yeah, invasion. and so you have, you have McGreevy conver- converging on this unit. Um, You've got uh, Marguerite report, you know, trying to find the intelligence officer and his guys so she can tell her story. And, uh, and, and then the third story begins. And the third component is basically the, the unit of guys that end up going on this patrol. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we knew that when we were going to have to write this movie that it, it can't have the budget of Saving Private Ryan and it's not going to have the budget of band of brothers or any of these huge things so how can you still tell a great story but also kind of have a realistic budget for us to sure to keep make it, it keep with it, somebody this, yeah so you know it starts out you meet the guys you see her situation come under the back and then most of the movie is them basically going on this this patrol okay 
they basically the uh, the S two says, all right, the intelligence officer. I don't yeah. believe what she's saying, but yeah, we'll, we'll go scout it. Let's go. We'll check scout it, out. it to take her back to where she needs to go, drop mm-hmm. her off, and then continue on. And and if you you know you're gonna find what you find every other night, and that's where Mike is. They're like, right. he keeps asking, oh, I need a story, I need a story, and, and, and the guy gets so pissed off. Finally, he's like, oh, you want a story about nothing? Go on this patrol. Leave me alone. Oh, funny. And, and so the, was, the, uh, the, the general belief at the time, too. So we're looking at this is first, second week of December 1944. Mm-hmm. All the way up to top, even Ike himself, was the Germans were beaten. You know, their best guys were fighting the Russians, trying to hold them off. Uh, th- there's no way that Hitler was going to be able to launch an offensive. It was just an inevitable. Yeah, it was old guys and, and yeah. kids from the Hitler youth that were, you know, there. Yeah. And there was no way that anything was going to happen. So. The you know, intelligence officer's like, fine, you want to go see some action, go walk through the woods with these guys for a day. Yeah. Um, you're you're going on a, a, basically a hike. Yeah. Enjoy. You enjoy, yeah. Get off my back. Yeah. Right. And uh, so they, the, basically the patrol goes out, and um, they, they, they spot the German buildup. And now they've got to race back. The Germans, they're, they're spotted. And they've, they've got so the Germans. I, I always kind of say it, it's they see what she saw. Right. Okay. But this time the Germans see, see them. Okay. Right. So, now it's, so now it's like you have the information. They know you have the information. Yeah. And, you're, and you know, they never saw, they never knew she brought it back. But now they know that this, this reconnaissance group right. is going to take it back. So they're going to speed things up. Right. So they immediately start firing up into the hill. And then it's just like a race to get back. To higher headquarters, and, and when when they, when they do get back, they, they send the information out, and they're basically told, you know, thanks for this information. Um, now you guys are going to hold in place <laughs> and defend <laughs> and defend the town. They're they're in a little town. It's an actual town um, called Marnock, okay, uh, Luxembourg, which is right on the German border. And so we, we basically have this this ragtag force of these this, these guys left from the reconnaissance patrol that weren't killed or wounded. And the guys we just talked about that they dig up, and they've got to hold this town against this massive German onslaught. And uh, it's people ask, is this a true story? I would say that seventy-five percent of it's true. Twenty-five mm-hmm. percent, um, of the course, we kind of just you know, yeah. I mean, we had you know the 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 basis for the story. You know, the interview, the woman, um, different people. We had we the through line of the reporter is. You know, a Hollywood device to try to tell the story. Sure, you know? the protagonist, you're the, looking through his eyes. Yeah, um, but you know, through the books, the Ray. You know, the th- great thing about him is he's like a, a walking encyclopedia. So he's like, read this book. Here, let me give you this book. Uh, I had a strange job. A helmet. Yeah, for, you got to read a helmet for my pillow, Sean. Yeah, uh, it's good to have when you're making a World War II movie. Yeah, so, but, but I don't know anything compared to Dale, though. You know, yeah. whenever you think you know something about World War II, yeah. Dale, Dale comes checks in. you right there. Right. You know? Look, Dale was a UPI too, right? Uh, yeah, and for the Marines, it, we were, you know, Stars and Stripes. He might have been a UPI at one time, and then I, um, I was just gonna, I was just gonna add it if you could get a picture of this. Well, we, we see really the second half, you know. Been referred to as Saving Private Ryan in the snow a little bit. Okay, I like this touch. Um, is that the sector where these guys are? These guys are, are from a, a Company B of the 110th Infantry Regiment, which started the battle with 3,250 guys. And hopefully, when the movie's made, you know you're going to see that these guys began the battle at the end of the Battle of the Bulge. Three days, or they're part of the Battle of the Bulge because uh, the Battle of the Bulge went on for a month. Only 500 guys were left alive. Wow. And throughout his life. Uh, 
the late Colonel David Hackworth, who, um, Hackworth became famous for going against the Vietnam War at the Pentagon. He was on the road to um, general. Anyway, he became a journalist, worked for Fox News and Newsweek. Hackworth had been trying his whole life to get these guys um, medals of honor, presidential mm. unit citation, and he just never could do it. And the reason is there was nobody left alive to, to Tell the write. story? Yeah. You know, to write what Private Sean, Private Jacob had done because the, all their commanders were dead. Everybody was gone. Wow. They and just so, kind of filtered those guys and survived into other units and like. And I think that's another thing that attracted us to the story is what, you know, part of the unknown story is that it was just such a, you know, it was a sacrifice. It was like the Alamo. I mean, the guys at the Alamo sacrificed it for the greater. Not glory. for glory at all. Right. They didn't right. get their names. They, in they the never books. knew a John Wayne was going to make a movie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. hundred yeah. years later. But, uh, and, and that's, that's one of the things that attracted to us about this story. Um, so you really have two parts of a story. You have a, re a reconnaissance patrol to confirm this information, and then you have this battle where these guys have to hold at all costs, where they know they're basically sacrificing themselves. So they have to come to terms with the fact that they're, yeah, dying. They're they're all gonna. They might as well be dead. Yeah, and then we actually have a a love interest in this. Well, you, you got know, it. Rom little romance. Yeah, you know, little so. romance with uh, the the reporter and and the woman. Okay. Um, you know. I'll, I always like that, you know, the old tender heart that I am, the, uh, a good love story, as long as it's not over, uh, overtaking the actual war movie, because you're not like, what am I watching here? You know, am I, are we watching a makeout scene right after yeah. they were shell-shocked, or what's right. going on here? No, but it, it could give you more of a reason for wanting him to, to want to survive, right? Yeah, like right. And, and that kind of plays out into the, to the beginning of the script, when you know Ray was talking about the uh, what was the the uh, movie that you love so much you told me about with uh, the Custer um, no oh Rough Riders Rough Riders which Dale sure. was yeah. in actually oh yeah, yeah. he is yeah it was know. a made for TV movie so Larry but I, the device at the beginning where they're going through the, a chest and they look at the Spanish American stuff. War during yeah the, okay yeah, yeah Teddy uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, Tom Berenger's Teddy Roosevelt oh wow. So very similar to that opening, which I like the device, is you've got a guy in present day who's going through his father's stuff after he's died up mm -hmm. in the attic, and he finds this old suitcase with just different mementos, like a hair clip from a woman, mm -hmm. pictures, and then a bunch of articles from what he wrote, but, and they're bound up, and he opens one's up, one up in particular, and he, the son starts to read about this 28th Infantry unit. Okay, cool. So you find out he got to write his story at the very beginning while the son's reading it, and you kind of go into the Go story. in through that. And then at the end, he just can't believe it, and you go downstairs, and he's, you find out his mother is Marguerite. Oh, okay, nice. Right, and, and in the movie, we had, we, we, we like had many conversations about this with Dale, who, you know, we said, how would we make this realistic? Obviously, this is a, a major battle. You know, we can't turn this into a Harlequin romance or mm -hmm. anything like right. that. And we pretty much said, hey, maybe they, you can see they've got a connection, but all that can happen is, you know, meet me in Paris, you know, next year if we're both still alive, you know, on yeah. this day. And yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, if anyone's listening to this, they're like, oh, they got, uh, it's not the notebook that's stuffed inside. I mean, it's, not, <laughs> it's not the no. greatest but, love story no. you're ever going to see, but, you know, it's, it is a storyline. Right. That that not only does he want to get the story now, but he also wants to survive because you know he actually loves this woman. Yeah, right? I think I, I, I really like that because it makes it human and personable. Like I, I've read a bunch of war scripts that 
there's too much time spent in like the headquarters where yeah. they're like they're talking about like troop movement and you're like what isn't I need like a you know you're not connecting with right. it's not a movie so I, I, this making it personal and small and intimate is right I think and, you know Dale Dale one of his pieces of advice was you know you could have the greatest story ever but you can make this walk through the woods and all these about the the characters and once you get to know them it doesn't, yeah you know it's not you're not going to have the the production value of all these giant war movies, but it doesn't matter if people really like the the characters. It's, it could be just as good. I mean, that's what you remember personally from Saving Private Ryan. Right. I mean, what sets that movie apart for me from other war movies is you get to know all like when they're in that church right. and at night and they're all talking about you know where right. they come from and like you get to know all of them. So that one of them dies, you you feel it. It's not right. just like a video game. And and you you know you talk about cliches or cliched yeah. stuff, but I think Dale even said he's like, "There's a reason why it's a cliche because it works." Yeah, you you know the church, the small, you know all these little things that you you've seen in different ways in different movies, but you have to have them in a movie in order to get to know these people on a different level to make you actually give a shit. Yeah, if they die at the end. Yeah, because I've seen plenty of stuff where the person gets killed, or you're like, ah. And what would I have? What, I have no connection to yeah, them. I have no investment. I don't know anything yeah. about them, their background or whatever, you know, why they are the, the way they are. So it, towards the end, you don't I, really, you're not. Yeah. I was thinking another thread, thread that um, we ought to mention is that uh, we, we have a, uh, a character, pretty good, good sized character, um, who's a German officer who uh, meets McGreevy um, at the beginning of the movie. And uh, he ends up saving his life uh, during the battle. And kind of tells them where to go to get out. Oh, and, wow. it, and it kind of came from my own uh, perspective. When I lived in Germany, when I was stationed there in the Army, I got to meet a lot of uh, World War II German vets. And you realize that, you know, most of these guys are just regular guys that were fighting. and Didn't uh, have a choice. Yeah, and they kind of looked at Americans. You know, we had such a good relate post-war relationship that, you know, they looked at uh, that they were just in the Super Bowl. You know, it was like, <laughs> a, like, it was like a football game. We were just their you know, opponents in a, in, a, in a game. So we tried to paint more of a human face to the enemy. Like that. And, and the actual units that, that the 20th Division fought were just the regular German army. It was not the Waffen-SS or anything, who, who did commit atrocities in mm -hmm. the Battle of the Bulge. But the guys that they were up against were just regular. Enlisted men. They weren't. Yeah, were just regular uh, German army. Um, it actually was the 2nd Panzer Division, which was a well-known unit. So we tried, to, we tried to paint that picture. And we actually have uh, attached to the movie um, a German actor named Werner Don. Okay. Werner's done a, uh, he was in, uh, well, he was in Valkyrie. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah, and uh, he's done a lot of German TV. He, he did the first, well uh, he, he was pretty young, that, or the first Triple X, I don't know if you remember oh, that. Oh, yeah, movie. I know, I, I remember. I, what, what character was he in that? Uh, I don't even Xander remember the Cage. name, but he's like, but he, if you look at him, you, he is looks... Is he the bad guy in that? He looks like a off very bad guy. He always guy. plays the bad guy on German yeah. TV yeah. cop shows, yeah. He's got yeah. a very pointy nose, okay, and looks nice. like he's going to kill you. Sorry, yeah. Werner. Yeah, yeah. But deep down, he's actually a good guy. He's the greatest guy. Yeah, I mean, he's another person, you know, that we... We got to know through another person, and and when he came out to L.A., you know, he read the script and he's like, "I love this. Let's." He's tried to help in any way he could. Mm -hmm. um, to this day, he's still like he wants to do it. He, yeah. he just did a movie, um, I think last month or last year, that's coming out with Diane Kruger. Okay. So you know he's done a lot of stuff, but he's always like he loves the idea of being uh, uh, his character. Basically, at the beginning, when McGreevy's trying to get the story. He goes outside for a smoke, and 
he doesn't have a lighter. And he sees over in the prisoner uh, wired off area, there's a guy smoking. Okay. So he go, walks over there and he tries to speak English to him. The guy's like, I, I speak a little English. So they start talking and they have like a regular conversation. He's like, the war's over for me. He gives him a and that's it. They think they're never going to see each other again, right? And while they're getting transported, there's, you know, because it's winter, the transporter ends up crashing and he escapes. Okay, wow. And so their paths will cross again. Crossing, yeah, I love that. He's an officer, so he's basically gets back to where sure. he's supposed to do. And, you know, right. Yeah, well, I, I think that's super important because there's, you know, I, I see a lot of war movies and there's always... Like one that a lot of people liked, Fury. I don't know how your opinions yeah, are on I, that. I but thought it was uh, it was unrealistic. I guess yeah, I the, but Dale didn't like it either. Also, but. the bad the Germans in there were like not humanized at all. Which right. I, I always compare like every war movie. I'm like to Saving Private Ryan. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. In, in Saving Private Ryan, obviously they humanized some of the Germans, but I think that's really important to do. You know, I I, I think so. And uh, another thing that we uh, this one of the scenes where there's the scene preceding the scene where McGreevy goes to the POW cage to talk, you know, he just, McGreevy's looking for any story. He mm-hmm. And he's in the hospital. And uh, this is actually a true story. My, uh, one of my teachers in high school, he was a world war two battle to bulge vet and he wow. was wounded three times. And the first time he was in the hospital, he said that, uh, you know, they, they had the German guys were like in another wing, you know, under guard and stuff. And, you know, you, you, these guys that were just walking wounded, you know, you're, you're a young guy walking around and stuff. All of a sudden, you see some German guys under guard. But, hey, you got some cigarette. You got any chocolate? And so it got to the point where these guys were, you know, hanging out, talking and stuff. They had to, you know, they had to physically, you know, put some kind of separation things. They, didn't want, they didn't want to talk to the Germans. They can't play cards with the Germans. It, yeah. These guys are, you know, the enemy. But, after, you know, when both sides are wounded, you know, you're, all of a sudden, you're not really the enemy anymore. Yeah, you're just people. And so we tried to – we did try to paint uh, – a human picture um, at most as accurately as possible. Well, not not that it made it any easier to kill anybody that doesn't look like you. Right. But mm-hmm. you hear a lot of these soldiers were like, you know, when you're fighting the Japanese, they didn't look anything like you. It was just like that. Oh, you could be, you could hate, but didn't make it any easier. But when they're when they're in the forest when they're fighting the Germans or D-Day and all that stuff, when they're right up. Closely, it looks like a guy that so was like in your the uncle. neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was very difficult, uh, you know, after them processing it because it was they looked just like you and me. Yeah, well, it's the, probably the, easier to dehumanize someone that yeah doesn't look like people you oh, know. Right. I mean, there's a story of like Eisenhower. He was always telling you know people in the staff. He's like, you know, when this thing's over with, uh, you know, I want to look up my relatives, you know, in Germany. And, and, wow. it, and he's like, well, right now we're trying to kill him, General. You yeah. Know? He's like, well, you know, I'll just, you know. Hopefully. He, he tells a great story. Was after world after the war ended officially, um, and the German army surrendered. They had had them all separated from the Americans. But then, you know, while they're over in France in, in Europe, they started. He started. Wasn't it Patton started drilling? Oh, well, that's when Patton actually got relieved at the end of World War II after the you know the hostilities ended. Patton was a good, you know, warrior, but he wasn't a very good administrator. Mm-hmm. And he he hated the Russians so much he was going visiting these German POW camps and you know SS guys, and he was pumping these guys up like, hey, all right, 
just give me some time. We're going to start to fight again with the Russians. You guys are on our side this time. They're like, we're going to get together. And they're like, it's okay. The, just the Russians. Like, get back here, Patton. And, yeah. and so I, Listen, and then, you know. uh, and then he also was, he, well, he was, he would also, yeah, you know, he had a lot of administrative stuff. He had to get the water running and mm-hmm. electricity on. And he was, if a guy was like a Nazi party member, he didn't really care. He would just like, you know, keep him in his job. Because wow. a guy knew how to keep the electricity on in the city. And so Ike was like, you know, we can't do that. Uh, you're, you're pumping, you're going to visit SS guys. Um, we just ended fighting with them. And now you're telling them you're going to be on our side. Uh, we're not going to have any more fighting here in Europe. And so they, they he relieved uh, Patton as commander of third army. And they put him in charge of 12th army, which was about 10 guys. <laughs> and it was uh, like a historical section, you know, and, uh, and then of course Patton got in a car accident about two weeks later and died. Oh, wow. But, um, well, he, he, well, he had some insight into the cold war that was about to happen. Yeah, which I mean, uh, <laughs> some people claim that he was murdered, but uh, oh, really? That's a whole different movie. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I recently read some uh, interesting stuff about how the U.S. Army basically made a beeline towards Berlin, and in the in the wake of that, there was big pockets of German soldiers that were still fighting after Berlin surrendered. I thought that would also be something kind of interesting for a movie. Oh, there's like these. S- there, there's, there's. I, I, I'm, I don't think it was. Uh, after they surrendered, though, but there's a movie that I just read an article about it last year. I think they sold the rights to it, but oh, it's based on the castle. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You, yeah, yeah. The last bat, last battle. Yeah, it was the only battle in World castle War. Castle of Itter or whatever. Yeah, it was the, the it was the Wehrmacht, the regular German army, and the U.S. Army against the Waffen SS. Yeah, and there was like French prisoners of war yeah. or something they're yeah. protecting. Yeah, that's super cool. That's interesting. Um, now, if they did that right, that would be an amazing movie. Yeah. Because you could get, like, just like from a business model, you would have you get your French star, or you know, you'd have all these different countries represented because they all fought together. You know, yeah. you really have that, you know. Right. And you've never seen it, but without yeah. demonizing anybody except for the bad Boffin F says. Yeah, nobody, you know, you don't find people usually say they were they're all right. There they're were some mis- good ones in the batch. They were misrepresented. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the uh, I, I think you saw that in the Band of Brothers though the last couple episodes when the war was over that you saw like where we were buddying up with the Germans. You could already see that there was this kind of like we were going to be you know these are our new allies. Yeah. There was that scene where um, they're on they're at the checkpoint and the guy who's on guard duty he, he stops this car civilians and he throws out their luggage. I love it. And he puts in the, the German guy who has his leg blown off, he's like, hey, you want to go to Munich or whatever? Hey, here's your, here's your ride, you know? Yeah, you're helping that, him out. That's a great device to yeah. be like, the war's over, no nope. soldiers. Yeah. Go live your life. Good luck, you know? Yeah. What, so what, what, what first, did you guys always wanted to make a World War II movie? Because I saw, I, you know, I watched Generation Gap uh, yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great cure for insomnia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was my NPR <laughs> voice. Sorry. It's a nice story, you know, and it, but but it was like almost to me like a somehow of like a symbology for you know a troubled kid going into the military, right? Basically, but yeah. obviously the the grandfather is a World War II vet, so well, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just I like that generation, man, yeah. and you know all the stories that you hear, and we always say World War II is the gift that always keeps, keeps giving. giving. I mean, there's so many stories that have never been told, sure, or they've been told but never been. You know, showing up on screen. Yeah. Like in a, in I, a I mean, just the emotional appeal that World War II vets have. I mean, whether you like Trump or not, the speech last night, he's talking, he has the World War II guys on camera, 
you know, in the Holocaust, uh, guy who the guy that was there that that rescued, you know, that, that liberated the camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, who who doesn't get choked up seeing it? Yeah, you can Like we we all have problems today, but it's like good versus evil. Can you imagine having to deal with that back in that? No, time? I, I mean, know. Come on, like compared to what what goes on here, I mean, it's. It's not even close. Not even close. And I think that that World War II still to this day, I, I don't think it will ever end that it has an emotional appeal to all generations because it, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it was just good versus evil. Yeah, that is what, that's what like and, World and War I doesn't have for yeah, me. Yeah, right? World War I was like, how did we get here? Yeah, uh, yeah like, why are we okay, fighting? We were in this treaty with this country yeah. and they shot this guy and now I'm in a muddy trench for four years. Yeah. You know? But yeah, World the War generation gap where, so he... I've, I was never in the military, but and I've always had this, you know, friends and, and, and family that have been in the military and have this obviously respect for it. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just like you just loved war movies. Yeah. And yeah. the stories that they told. And then uh, he and I were actually teachers early on in uh, around 2000 through 2004 ish. Like another century. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we started talking about these different things and and. The, our love for the military, military movies came up, and then we just started talking, and and I had this idea about a movie, roughly, and one of my favorite movies is on Golden Pond, believe it or not. Okay. And I love, I love different generations of yeah. of men, or women, but just a young man and a hardened old man, who most people like even in today's society don't think they can learn from anything from one. Sure, another. no, yeah. and they always do. Yeah, if they actually. Force them to be together. If, for if more the than grandpa one throws minute. their phone into the, under a car there tire, can actually learn. But um, his military aspect and all the different, you, you know, just because you weren't in World War II and it, or the VFW is a great place where you can find all different generations of people that have gone through that. Mm. And the original script was more of a, it was a PG-13, PG-13 for sure, and it was a lot different where he. He was sneaking Sex, out of the house, drinking. drinking. Okay. You know, the beginning of the movie, he basically has hid mics all throughout the teacher's areas and, and splices together in inappropriate comments. I think he blew oh. up the nativity scene at Christmas yeah. time. Too. Yeah. That, that was so not going to go on the Hallmark but Channel. It's the last day, <laughs> finals, and he's sitting there in a room with everybody, and then over the PA become, comes the most spliced together inappropriate from like the conversation principal. from two principal and wow, another person. That's funny. But immediately he shows up at the con. He's like, get out of here now. Yeah. So you know he's trouble. But when you deal with Hallmark, of course, they want everything uh, streamlined and G. And in in yeah. fact, they, 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 I guess one of the, their head executives, he was reading the, pl- the, the, the original script, the PG 13 script on a plane. And he called the woman who eventually greenlighted the, like, the development executive. He's like, we can't do this movie. And she's like, well, maybe they could cut it down and take out the sex yeah. and the He's drinking. like, I love it, but we can't yeah, do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, and no. so they got it. They haul us in there. and uh, I want that bong gone right now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any bongs. Yeah, there's no bongs. Yeah, there's no bongs. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, for, for what it was and for as much as they changed, um, yeah, we're, we're proud of that movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it, believe it or not, it did really, really well on their uh, – it's like number one October screening yeah, or something like ever. So ever. it got great, great uh, ratings. But, you know, doing a movie like that, and, and we were like, you know, you think they would have us back to do another one. But they, they've really started to – that was the last of the – using some of those older actors. They, okay. they, had, a, they had a shuffle uh, up at the top, too. The guy who I guess was their – one of the guys who greenlighted the top – 
they got rid of him. He's an older guy. Okay. And then they kind of focused on, you know, the... Uh, they, they want them, like, super 20s girl, power woman to 30 yeah. female leads. Because that really is the people that watch it more than anything. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they're, they're doing gangbuster ratings now with their, yeah. with their... You know, you see at Christmas, they have, like, 25 Yeah, they're, movies, you know, yeah that's their movies. time. They're that's no the more thing. Battle of the Bulge, though. But we always... That, <laughs> we always said we're, we're frustrated history writers. We need to do an actual war movie. Sure. And so we really... Turned our attention to yeah, it's going right soldiers, actual. You know? So you guys met. Uh, you were at t- we were you were teachers. Yeah, yeah. Which we were we were at the teachers at Pinecrest uh, Middle School in Woodland Hills, which is oh, wow. uh, is no more, I believe. No, we we left and the place couldn't survive. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were happy to have us go, but uh, no, it was one day. I think I was uh, typing a script. It was a I think it was a high script. And Sean came in, uh, you know, during lunch, and he's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Just working on this script." He's like, "Really." And uh, it was sort of the it was sort of a meeting of the minds there. Wow, that's and, all. Uh, that original script would uh, they're not going to put it in the Smithsonian. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Yeah. But you know, it, it ended up sparking ideas, and yeah. finally, like we had a uh, an idea and started writing a generation gap. And then he just like this is the typical Hollywood story where you're like you try to explain to somebody that comes and you know how this is too. Yeah. It's like well, how do I make it? Or how yeah. do I get something done? And you're like, I wish I could tell you that because like, I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're like, And how it happened to me is going to be different than how it happened to that guy and happened to that guy and happened. So in our case, was it your sister's knew my, this guy? My, my sister knew this guy. Uh, he actually was a former Hallmark, Dave Cannon. Okay. I think Dave's in his like seventies now. He was one of the older generation that they pushed out. Um, and Dave met me in Studio City. Had nothing to do with the script, did it? Oh, it yeah. yeah. I, I turned it over, and you know, it was like breakfast. You know, I'm basically talking to you because your sister knows me, and you know, it's Hollywood, and here's yeah. a cup of coffee. And so I gave him the script. He goes, well, I can't promise anything. You know. And all of a sudden, I got this call about, what, two, three weeks later from uh, a woman named Elizabeth Yost. And she's like, wow, we, we really like your script. And <laughs> uh, don't call us. We'll call you, but uh, we really like it. So don't bug like, us. Just hang on. I'm like, okay. You know. And uh, is that when we uh, went ahead and got an agent or was that after the deal or before the deal? No. So we, that was another thing. Like we didn't have an agent and we sell the script basically. Yeah. And so we, we basically got our agent because we're like, <laughs> we, we have a deal. We just need somebody to help us, help us negotiate it. it. And then, yeah. then, and then it's almost like the same people we had contacted over and over again before they didn't want anything to do with us. Sure. We're just, you know, two lame dicks who know nothing. You want something from them, and now you right. can offer something yeah. to them. So yeah. we, af- uh, after they knew they were going to get 10% for doing nothing, sure, we actually got a really great agent. Yeah, it's the, uh, the late Mickey Freiberg. He was, uh, Mickey was probably in his 70s when he, he died of uh, too early brain cancer. But he was one of these guys, he knew everybody mm-hmm. in Hollywood, especially old Hollywood, you know. And uh, like we'd write a script, he's like, "I'm gonna give this thing to L. Ruddy," you know. All right, yeah. Uh, or, you know, yeah. All these can I, I used to say, "Who was he gonna give our script to next?" Rudolph Valentino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Mickey knew everybody, and it was uh, funny. Al Ruddy, my my uncle's a producer and has uh, been partners with Al Ruddy. He's very good friends with Al Ruddy. Oh actually. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's he's like, throw that name God, around. The Godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hogan's Heroes. No, and then he gave us our, one of our scripts, like Erwin Ir- Winkler, uh, okay, Gary right. Marshall. So he had some big. And it was a tragedy that he they got brain cancer and died. But um. you know, he was one of these guys too that like. It's a character. Yeah, and but as a writer, 
he's almost like an advocate for you where you well, like sometimes you don't really know if, if they're in your corner oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll give it to somebody but he you know especially after he died his wife was like you know he really liked you guys a lot you know because I don't think we were the atypical like we get into the weirdest conversations on the phone with him and he'd be like giving us notes and be like he would say insane he, stuff. He would say some really funny stuff. We wrote <laughs> inappropriate we, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we wrote this script called uh, Six Ways from Sunday about these. They're two guys. They're just lovable art thieves. Okay. You know, they, they never hurt anybody. Kind of like Sundance and you know Butch they Cassidy, go out of their yeah, way yeah. not to hurt anybody, but they're 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 thieves. And there was a some scene at the end where they're on the run in Amsterdam, and uh, Mickey's like, I want one of the guys to come out of the drugstore carrying a purple tube. I'm like, right now, I'm like, purple tube, Mickey. He's like, yeah, he got the clap or the yeah. crabs or something. I, you know, and I'm like, okay. Okay. Mickey, He's down. like, you got, you guys, you know, when he, when he, when the one guy discovers that, 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 that they've been fleeced, he's, he's having sex with a girl and he throws her off the bed. He goes, let the let the man come for Christ's sake! Like, <laughs> you're like Mickey. He's, he's, what he's kind of this, note is that? Yeah, you, you hear this like you know his 20 year old assistant in the background going, "Come on, Mickey, yeah, that's <laughs> funny." But he, so, he, but he he would just say anything, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember when we had, we had this other script, and he, I said, "Mickey, you got any notes?" This called 91st and Broadway. It's like coming of age. And he's, I, Mickey, what, what are your thoughts? He goes, you guys are wading in the soft soap again. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's but like, this he, isn't a Hallmark movie. Yeah. And we had like literally, we're, we're trying to, to, to get it to be the best it can. Because we had like, I remember we had a meeting at uh, Overbrook Entertainment with okay. Will Smith's yeah. company. You wow, know? yeah. And I was like, oh, nice this is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> and he's giving us these notes like two weeks before we go in there. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> God. We're horrible. We're just, we can't do it right. But uh, no, no. He's a character. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome that he was got into it with you like that. Oh, and he had such great stories because his best friend was Robert Culp. I guess they grew up together. Oh, wow. Mickey had been an extra like in on the, the Hitchcock movie Torn Curtain when he was in high school. <laughs> so he know, it's just or the, college or something. You know, so he knew he had all these weird random, you know, Hollywood insights. Stories. Yeah. 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 It's always fun talking to the it's old. It's too bad he should have wrote, wrote a, you know had a book, written a book or something about us. But. Uh, and who was the guy we went to who had been spoofed by Borat? We we lit, we went before we got our agent. Yeah. We go in and I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm like, this is fucking weird. He's got shit everywhere. His desk is. This is a, like a literary agent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he, yeah. he was a real estate broker. Lit, like in Beverly Hills. Agent. Yeah. At this weird building, and it looked like a 1960s. You, ro- you roll in there and it says, uh, literary agent Lloyd Robinson, and I'm like, he's got like a bowler, like he's got a, with a. Like one of those Western, yeah, yeah, know, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, cowboy yeah, yeah, hat on or something, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm the whole time I'm like, why do I recognize this guy? I don't, know. <laughs> it's weird. And then we leave, and like you, you told me the story that I forgot. I was like, Ray, uh, we're not gonna let this guy represent us. <laughs> yeah, we like, I should go home. I should <laughs> yeah. just leave the city because yeah. I, I can't do it. And then I, and then it hit me, Borat in the movie, yeah. Spoofs him as if, if he wants to tell this story, and he's t- like the tub, the hot tub show or something, or oh, like whatever. He's pitching yeah, he's pitching, all he's these pitching some show to him, and, yeah, and what, guy, is the guy into it? Yeah, yeah. oh god, it's the worst. <laughs> That's a funny story. <laughs> yeah. And I, and the funny thing is, this guy actually did sell seven years in Tibet. Yeah, that was so, his big thing. He had, oh, okay, so up, he, he up did do pile, something that like yeah. so that put him on his, the map. That was his claim. Up, up on his pile of shit was like a signed poster of Seven Years in Tibet. Wow, yeah. and now he's just hawking <laughs> his Borat fame. Yeah. I can't help him. Yeah. 
No, it no, was, no, it was no. The weirdest freaking. Yeah, that was a weird experience. How, how's how's your rep now? I mean, obviously not. You guys are. Well, I mean, let's just say if anybody's listening to this podcast, ten thousand people. <laughs> we would yeah, like. Uh, please help. Yeah, we'd like to tell you a few stories off record. Okay, okay. touche. You know, but I mean, it is what it is. You know, yeah. I don't. In the end, I'm a true believer. You're, you're. You got to make your own. Yeah, and that, and yeah, it is. as I was saying before, kind of, you know, if, if Ray doesn't have the meeting with the guy, it doesn't matter how great this the script is. It's somebody's got to read it, and, yeah. and and however that happens, whether you make it happen by being persistent or just there's some happenstance where you give it to somebody that gives it to somebody else. Yeah, you know. Um, one of the great stories I love is uh, Boondock Saints, where he was the bartender at that, the bar down in between West Hollywood and Hollywood. I don't even it's know this story. not there anymore. Uh, God, what's the, what's the director's name? But he, he gives it. The guy keeps coming in drinking. He was like a junior CAA agent or one okay. of the biggies. Reads it. He's like, this is an incredible script. And it starts making its way around Hollywood. And that's when Weinstein was the height of his power drives down to the restaurant or the bar and says, I'm going to buy the script. You're going to direct it. Your band's going to do the soundtrack. And I'm going to buy this bar for you. And I think for a million dollars. No way. That's and, the and story. It's in a limo. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Jeez. That's a good day for that guy. But <laughs> if you haven't seen this documentary, it's called, um, oh, I can't remember it now. I just blew it, but it's it's one of the best documentaries there because it documents that whole process. That whole experience. In the, the is Harvey guy, in it? He, he is. Yeah. Wow. Barely. Okay. But but th- this is like the worst Hollywood. It's a Hollywood uh, cautionary tale because he thought he was so much better than he was. Yeah. He'd never done anything before. He's like, uh, there, there's like footage behind the scenes of. Mark Wahlberg, everybody at the time in the 90s. Was reading the script. And, and was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. And then like, yeah, yeah. pumping his ego. And he had a couple of his friends with like high aid or whatever, just documenting it. And it, towards the end, he's like, fuck you guys, I don't need you guys. And the movie ends up going into turnaround because he's basically like, he, he says to uh, Harvey Weinstein over the phone, fuck you. You know, really? I'm, I'm the one that, all this stuff. And shoots himself in the foot a thousand times. And finally, the Weinsteins give up the movie. It goes into turnaround. I think Franchise Pictures put out Boondock Saints. Okay. There's all this behind-the-scenes footage in can when nobody's bidding on it. Yeah. And it's because Weinstein's basically saying, don't He's do saying it. no one. Yeah, he <laughs> oh, like yeah. Mob, he's like I mean, a mob boss. It, it's insane. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I got to check this out. The documentary documents all of it. Wow, with like actual footage that they were shooting. Oh yeah. Wow. And and the only really person people that became successful are the two guys that documented it. Wow. Because yeah, the director of Boondock Saints, I mean, I could be wrong, but he hasn't really done much else than Boondock Saints, hasn't. right? No. Uh, Duffy is his last name. Yeah. Which is bizarre because that movie is such a cult classic. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that movie. I, I, what is it? What is the name of the documentary? Anyways, it's it's oh, got I'll his face it. on it. Okay. And it's got an, a Super 8 camera. Putting up to his temple like he's committing suicide. Oh, okay. He he literally kills his career over this documentary. It's like through the whole thing, you're like, no, don't do that. It's just me. it's just an ego but, thing. But does he oh, still have the ego? bar? Though? He still has the bar. No. Oh. No, <laughs> he the bar. no. no bar. He lost no bar. the bar too. Yeah. I mean, it's it, he. 
every wrong step that you could make after you are basically given the golden goose in your lap. Yeah. All you have to do is play the game and you're probably going to be a Hollywood director star yeah. for the rest of your life. He does the opposite. So, so watch that movie. Troy Duffy is his name. Troy Duffy. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Okay, so watch that movie and, and then don't do anything. I love that movie. Yeah. Talk about an independent movie that's fucking great. Awesome. I love it. But he is the world's biggest prick. That's crazy. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, was it William Defoe that comes out at the end with the song and yeah. shoots? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that movie's awesome. He's a good actor. Yeah, William Defoe's awesome. Oh, yeah. Got a good face. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But um, yeah. Well, what? Uh, so, what's your guys' favorite World War II movies? Ooh, that's a good. You go ahead first. Well, uh, obviously, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the the English translation. Um, it's a German movie. Why can't I think of it right now? I can't think of it. Well, I can tell you the the series that I like m- the most mm-hmm. is we were talking about the demonization of the Germans. Yeah. Know? So it was. Maybe four years now, but it's a German series. It's like the German Band of Brothers. Oh, interesting. And it's called uh, Generation War. Yes, it, that's okay. American. But I think it's called My Mother and My Father or yeah. something like that. But it's basically about a group of friends in Berlin uh, in 1941, I think. Or, or yeah, yeah. And it consists of two brothers that are going into the, or two or three of them that are going into the army. Yeah. You've got a girl that's going to be a nurse. She's got to go off to that. You have a, a their Jewish buddy who owns the bar who doesn't really know what he's going to do, mm-hmm. and they're starting a lot of anti-Semitism is starting to happen. And then you have a girl who's kind of a gypsy, kind of free-flowing girl, but they're all really tight. And so the, the, the series starts out of them having the last party before the boys have to go away into the army. Okay. And so they make this pact. Hey, when the war is over with, let's meet back here. Oh, wow. Okay, and, and so the series chronicles each one of their journey throughout 41 to like 45, I think. It is phenomenal. That sounds awesome. And it's, it's awesome. Okay, I'm going to check. I, cause it, it really uh, like does good. a good job of like, you, you talk about you get to know these characters. Yeah, get to know. Great. Sounds sweet. Yeah, and, and it's a shame that like more people in the, in the United States couldn't see it, you know? Yeah. Because it would give you a different perspective of like... You know, it's interesting to watch World War II movies that are German. Yeah, because I, I just watched one called uh, The Captain. Have you seen that? No, it's a, it's actually really cool. It's in black and white, and it's about this um, fleeing. Uh, it's at the end of the war, and there's a German um, soldier uh, abandoning post, and he's fleeing, and he comes across this uh, wrecked down truck and a a, cap, a SS captain dead in there. And he's like looking around. There's no one around. And he takes the SS outfit and he puts it on and basically puts the helmet on. He's like in the car and stuff. And then an enlisted German soldier comes up and thinks he's a captain. And then he just keeps uh, charading around as that. And he kind of gets brought through Germany and stuff. And he now he's like this captain at the end of the war. But it's 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 super interesting okay. to watch. It, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Movie. What about you? What is what do you think your favorite World War II movie is? Uh, you know, I, I think as far as German movie, there's a great um, World War II black and white German movie made in the late 50s called, it's translated in English, Dogs Want an Eternal Life. It's about okay. the Battle of Stalingrad. And you, you can watch it on YouTube if you search that. They'll even have it in English subtitles. And uh, it's a funny backstory. How did I find out about this movie? When I was in Germany, my landlord fought in Rus- on the Russian front and at the Battle of the Bulge. Wow. Captured by the 101st. 
And so one day, I'm, you know, one night I'm in my apartment. It's like 8 or 9 o'clock, and there's this knock on the door. And it's Otto, my landlord. And he's got a, like a 12-pack of beer. And he's like, uh, this movie's on. He goes, we got to watch this. It's about Stalingrad. Uh, he's like, you got any cheese and crackers? <laughs> like, I got the beer. And so here I am sitting there watching this movie. With, with someone that's actually with, in that battle. With, uh, you know, he was on the Russian front. Um, he wasn't at Stalingrad, but you know, he was, he, his knowledge, obviously, from being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as German was, I like that one. And you, it is, you can see it on YouTube. What's it called? Uh, translated in English, Dogs Want an Eternal Life. Okay. Hundervolt and Avish Leben in German. And then I'd say, as far as the big blockbuster movies, Saving Private Ryan, although I do like Band of Brothers better because of Fair, character okay. development. You get, yeah, you get into it more time. Um, and then the old classic, Where Eagles Dare. You can't beat. Clint I haven't seen that. I haven't Richard Burton trying to get up on a, a castle of 10,000 feet up. Have you ever, you've never seen I've that? never seen that. Oh, that's a great Okay, one. so I got, I got a that's new a list one. here. He'll, gi- he'll give you homework, man. Okay, <laughs> nice. I like homework. <laughs> uh, I, you know, elements of Patton I liked in Bridge, yeah. Bridge Too Far, like the, you know, some of the scenes in Bridge Too Far. That the, it's got a good score. Um, but I guess, yeah, probably, I would say of all war stuff, probably Band of Brothers. Yeah, it's hard to um, beat. Even Dale himself says he liked that better than the Pacific. I, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Dale shared a story. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to anyway. I know you already started. Because we had given him our script, and then he got a first look at it, because obviously, you know, things are going to go through tons of changes before then. I go, you know, what did you think about the original Saving Private Ryan script? And his <laughs> response was, I didn't. And, he, and he's like, I'm going to send you the original one. Oh, really? And the first line. Of the original one, there, there was no cemetery scene with Ryan oh, really? and his three buxom granddaughters. Yeah, I think everybody was focused on the. Sorry, the no, we weren't, but you were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sicko. <laughs> there, there isn't, there isn't that scene in there. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. The, so the original script, there's no scene in that, no cemetery scene at the open, and the and they're on the landing craft, and Tom Hanks's character is, he looks at all those guys and he goes, "All you sons of bitches, we're all gonna die," and it got worse from there, and. There was all this backstory of Vincent working in like the woman's fashion industry or something in Manhattan, and, and Tom Hanks went up to Spielberg. And he's like, I, "I can't be in this movie." He goes, "You got to fix this script. I, I can't play this guy." Interesting, like this. And this. Spielberg, he hired a ghostwriter uh, to fix it, and apparently, the, the the Act Three, which is pretty much the battle in the village. Yeah, there was no script. He just he looked at Dale. And he said, "We're just gonna, we're gonna just go with no script. Have you know, guys just ad lib." And he's like, "If you see something that somebody needs to say, tell me, and we're gonna have him say it." Wow. He's like, "I'm throwing the script out." So there wow. was no script in Act Three of Saving Private Ryan. You know, this is all third party party. But there's right. something we, we true actually, in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it's funny because if you look at Saving Private Ryan, you have, um, uh, what's the guy from Brooklyn? Um, Vincent. No, the actors. Oh, Ed Burns. Uh, Ed Burns yeah. says stuff about his mom's lingerie or lingerie yeah. or something. There's a couple no lines in there, with it, yeah. and I'm like, I never thought about it before. Yeah, but it, it it's a and it happened in Generation Gap because we had a guy who was like not only the barber but he was also a bookie, mm-hmm. and, and and where the young kid Too got his haircut. Yeah. but in know, in the movie, yeah. uh, one of the characters goes, Willie Stargell is dead and something else it, it makes a like a sports reference and it makes no sense because 
that that whole other stuff was Sorry, cut out cut. of the script. Yeah, interesting. But, but nobody would ever know that except for us. Yeah. Yeah. The the, uh, the original uh, Saving Private Ryan had like I think f- like flashbacks to him in Brooklyn with his mother. Like, oh, I'm glad that's dresses. not there. I mean, just yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. I guess Hanks just and it, Hanks they didn't like the original Miller. You know, the the character Cat Miller is just yeah. Obviously, we found out he was an English teacher. Yeah. And sort of this very thoughtful guy. And uh, something that is true to his nature. Yeah. yeah. And the original guy was much more of like a Captain or, America, like, let's yeah. go kick some ass, you know? Yeah. And he's like, I can't play this guy. This this, this is just not me. Did you, like, how old were you when, when Saving Private Were you old, you're old enough to go into the theater? No. 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 I was born in 90. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So I was seven. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't use a fake so ID when or saw, anything. But here, when I, so I didn't see it in theaters, but when I saw it, like, you know, when you're young and you see a movie, it affects you so strongly. Like yeah. that knife scene where he flips him over and that knife slowly goes into him like that. Oh, yeah. And when know. he's back, like, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 Like you could you, yeah, no, you do I, the same I thing. I still feel like I shivers thinking about that. But I will never forget seeing that in a theater because, like, that opening scene, like, there had never been anything that real. Yeah, before. it still hasn't. I don't know. Like, my, uh, <laughs> yeah. my, uh, my cousin, actually, was at Omaha Beach. My grandmother's first cousin, my second cousin, once removed. But he was at Omaha Beach, and uh, he said he saw Saving Private Ryan, and he walked out after the landing scene and like smoked about 10 cigarettes. He was just shaking. Wow. And uh, he said it was unbelievable. He said it was, it was pretty, pretty, realistic. pretty darn realistic. Yeah. With all the, all the practicals too, I hate when you see movies now and it's all you could you could just tell it's you know uh, post production they're doing like yeah. the bullet hits right it, it just doesn't it's not the same as what they're using that yeah. you know because Hanks and Spielberg did uh, Band of Brothers the Bastone and the the Ardennes Forest stuff like the practical stuff that they use in that is just incredible too it's like it, you felt like because you heard about you know the trap mill where they would literally just shoot it up into the trees so not only are you getting the shells rained down on you're getting all the branches and everything coming down just coming down just tearing everybody apart like those couple of episodes were incredible yeah i mean just like good god how did they even survive it you yeah know? it's unbelievable yeah yeah so I, I guess yeah those are my my favorites i have little little other ones little bits and pieces like the devil's brigade with william holden okay yeah it's a good one um, there's, there's so many Bridget Ramagan is pretty good little parts, but, and for like cheesy, but not, not even cheesy, but like for, for the time he got me to watch the series combat. Okay. Oh, it was Vic Murrow. Yeah. In Murrow. fact, in fact, combat, um, was real motivator for Steven Spielberg to make Saving Private Ryan. And oh, Brothers interesting. Because he had been a big fan of it as a kid. Cause you get to really know the characters. Okay. Yeah. Um, and actually a lot of it was filmed at, uh, well, it's now West LA. Uh, college, junior college over there in Jefferson, but they had MGM. They had a whole European village backlot, you know, that they, they just, you know, filmed it all in. Yeah. Well, um, like now that you said that, for for our movie, Citizen Soldiers, with the 28th Infantry Division being from Pennsylvania, we started to like, well, how can we make Pennsylvania, how can we get them involved, you mm-hmm. know, to s- see if we could th- make this thing? So we ended up contacting the the base which is at Fort Indian Town Gap what happened was these guys in the 28th Infantry they actually trained at Fort Indian Town Gap it's outside of Philly okay uh, between Philly and Pittsburgh and went over to uh, to fight so after the war 
the government sold the base to the state of Pennsylvania for one dollar, and so it's still there today. And it's it's like what for field trips? No, no, it's a it's, it's an, an actual, actual, base? actual base. Oh, it's an actual for, base for uh, for the guard. national government. Oh, okay. And so we ended up contacting them and saying, look, we want to do a movie about 20th Infantry yeah. Divisions. They still have the same patch, everything. And couldn't believe it. They're like, yeah, we really want to do it, <laughs> but you need to get the government's approval. Yeah. So we, we ended up contacting the, what is it, the DOD or whatever the it's hell it was. Department of Defense, media relations people. Or- because what they want to do is they're, they're going to want to, they want to read the scripts and make sure that it's not anti-American American or sure. just you know, shitting on the military. And they loved it. They're like, we'll fully support it. So we got, you know, we got documentation that they would give us, you know, men, machinery, if we needed blanks, all this kind of oh, stuff. That's awesome. And the base was like, if you guys want to shoot on the base, we can use the barracks to house your cast and crew. Wow. Yeah. And we'll How about that you, for actors? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll give you guys to, to, you know, to be background, whatever you want. And if you need us to build, well, we would have to pay for it, but they would build it. A mock, you know, there's only like one big village scene. Yeah. Where they would do that because they could use it after we leave for training. For training. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so we have all these pieces. The government will support. We had all these. We, every single reenactor group on the East Coast found out about it and contacted us. They wanted, <laughs> they wanted to do they it. They wanted it in. But they've got tanks. Yeah. They've got sure. half tracks. The they got all these different got everything. Everything. So. What it really comes down to with anything, as you know, is the is trying to get a somebody to invest in the in the budget yeah. to get it done. But you know, the I think we even the amount more. of money that it would take without doing it at the base and without the government, you know, we have a lot of cost cutting cost cutting measures that we could do. And plus the since it's in the Ardennes, where this is located in Pennsylvania, looks just like the Ardennes. Oh, the it forest looks exactly. does exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I think, it's I all think set. The, uh, they, they, and we didn't yeah. know this. Every other year, every year, they have a Battle of the Bulge reenactment on the base. No way. Yeah. So all these guys come over there. So, we didn't so they're already know. there. They're like, yeah, we're, we've done this. You before. need to turn the cameras on. Yeah. I think the uh, the army had, didn't they agree that they they were gonna give us help like building the little village. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're you know. They've got explosives too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. Because I agree with you. I mean, I, obviously, we're going to have to use some special effects, but practical effects. It's, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. You feel the difference. I know it's it, it's got to be a lot more cost effective yeah. to Plus put some insurance and to put some bullet marks in afterwards. But yeah. But yeah, it doesn't quite. It's not quite the same as blowing sand up in people's face. No. You know? No, but you know, as far as a budget wise, it's all on the lower end to get it done because like the majority of it is a walking and talking, you know, there's skirmishes and there's the beginning, the Herc and Forest, we show yeah. how bad that was, but it's more of a character driven story with action interspersed in there. Sure. So it's not like going it, to be the most expensive. Yeah, movie it's not the Avengers. Movie. In, in yeah. fact, I actually, I just remembered this, our, our opening scene of the movie is um, nighttime in the Hurricane Forest that the 28th was in. You know, they just got relieved from, they were there for three months, was a meat grinder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, pitch black. And the main character is this guy, John Sneed, is a sergeant. He's with some of these guys that we're going to, you know, we're going to get to know. He's kind of moving really and slow it, between each foxhole. Okay. Right. Like, Be ready. You know? and, and, it, and he's like, I, you know, they think the Germans are, you know, they're going to attack them. And he's like, okay, you know, he gets on the radio. He's like, 
you know, he needs illumination around, flare illumination around. All of a sudden, they pop this flare over the area, and the Germans are, like, right there. Right there. Oh, wow. And so you just, see it once. Yeah. And so that's really our opening scene, just kind of show what these guys were, th- were had gone through. Before they, they even got to the, uh, the Ardennes. To, before they go to the relief area. Right. And yeah. we read, and you've got, you've got, it, it it's going to happen right when they when they end up making it back, and now they know they have to hold yeah. at all costs. They've got like a few hours, six hours, five hours, whatever it is, to just dig in and wait. And so what all these soldiers were told stories is like the, the Germans love to intimidate too. So they, on the edge of the forest or the edge of a, of a town, they lined up all those, uh, what do they call those big Sur- searchlights? Search and they just... Psh, they turned them all on, waited, and, and everyone was like, what the hell is going on? Everyone gets they, really on edge. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then they just shelled the shit out of them. Oh, wow. And just rained down on, on their positions. But they turned on all these searchlights just to, to fuck with them. Mental. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, well, I imagine the, the waiting for the Germans would be the worst. Yeah. I mean, obviously, them fighting probably worse. But it's like, I, they, it's like ice and a kicker. They did a lot of psychological stuff where... The Americans would find like a phonograph records of tank ta- uh, tank tracks or yeah. tanks moving and all that stuff to, to try to fool them. That's why they were like kind of like ah, there's nothing really going on. Where yeah, in reality, they were really bringing all the stuff in on trains and different things uh, at night. Wow! But the weather was so bad, it, it's it foggy. Kinda helped them, and they yeah. couldn't they couldn't use air reconnaissance to look. They couldn't see it was for weeks. Yeah, wow. that, well, that, well, that was the thing that the, the Germans were able to move so fast at the beginning is because the, the fog, we had no air cover. I mean, once they were, once the sun came out and they were in the open, they were dead because the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, was done. Was gone, gone was already, done right? Was done right, yeah. December 44. So they knew, I mean, pretty much Hitler said, you know, we got about four or five days. We got, And the problem was they had this limited timetable because of the fog and the weather, but yet we kept stopping them at all these choke points. You know, and they had to be like, okay, we can't get through here. We got to shift this way, or we got to go south instead of north. And then they would get stopped again. And that, and all by the time, you know, they were they were starting to move again. All of a sudden, the sun comes out, and here comes the Eighth Air Force. Oh yeah, yeah. And then it was over. <laughs> it was over. And and but the battle lasted a whole month. Yeah. Uh, because what we did is, you know, we they kind of funneled themselves into a, just a kill sack, and we and we attacked like a pincer and hit them both ways. Um, pushed them back across Germany uh, by the end of middle of January '45, and then that was pretty much it on the Western Front. I mean, the war was going to go on longer, but just do it. Hitler threw everything he had at him. That was the last yeah. ditch effort. Yeah. Huh. Well, it sounds like an awesome uh, point to put the movie in. Kind of the last. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Everything: snow, cold weather, Hitler's last gamble. There it is. Yeah, I like they'll it, die, you know? man. I mean, yeah, the they'll die. Yeah. The thing <laughs> about Saved by Ryan is, and snow. I like you know, that. Even if we, it is a lower budget, I know if when we would hand the reins over to him, he'll 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 make it look like a billion dollars, and it'll yeah. be done right. Like he doesn't accept no. that good enough. Yeah, you know what I mean? and, and I think he said in one of the vi- there's a, several videos on YouTube where he's talking about the movie. He said, you know, you're gonna watch this movie, you know, behind a rifle sight. You know. Yeah, that's what crime. I saw in one of the videos of him. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and then it's another example. He's like. Yeah, come over to my house and just film me, and I'll talk about the movie. It helps, you know, make give give awareness or, or for investors or whatever. So, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, he's just a he's just a salt of the earth. He's a good he's a really good man. Yeah, 
It is very good. I remember when, when I first reached out to him, and then uh, I believe I was corresponding with his wife as well, setting up the appointment. But then he sends me back like a mil, you know, okay, setting an appointment for fourteen hundred. Yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. yes, sir. I loved it. You know? It's like so. Yeah, it's great. Well, well, very cool. Uh, any last any last notes you want to end on on the picture picture project again, real quick. Well, no, I mean, uh, Alamo in the yard ends. Yeah, saving yeah. Private Ryan in the snow. If you, exactly. yeah, if you, if you want to be a part of it, you know anybody that could be interested in it, or um, you know, know somebody else that would be interested in helping us get it made, we're uh, always open to accepting help or uh, funding. So get a hold of me or Ray or or me, you, yeah, yeah, and uh, let's make it happen. Awesome. Or Dale. Or Dale. Yeah. 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 Warriors Inc. I really enjoyed talking with you guys. That was great talking. Yeah, great talking thanks to you. so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks so much. Thanks. If you liked this episode of The Take, please give it a good review on iTunes and subscribe. Thanks so much.